Hi, Black Circle family. Um, thank you for coming back for another episode. I'm so glad that you could join us today. And I'm so glad that Chidi Mwambani can join us today. Chidi from Looty Arts. Looty Art. And we're going to get into all of that. Um, but your resume is super impressive. Um, you know, I was doing some research and it was DJ and keen traveler and public speaker and, of course, digital entrepreneur. Um, but what I like to do with my guests is I kind of like to lead with the journey and what brought them there. So where does that all start for you? And yeah, where, where, how did, where did it lead you to? I guess from in like terms of like creativity and always like always when I was young, <laughs> always had like energy. Yeah. And I feel like my mom tried to like control that energy by just saying, go and draw. Yep. She always used to be like, if I was doing like too much or being a nuisance, whatever, she would be like, just take this and draw. Use that to kind of get out that energy that you had. And I think that just kind of like started the process for me of just always using using this kind of like energy that I had to create something. So throughout my life, I've always been making something, creating something, whether it's like DJing or doing music or actually creating, actually like um, I've, I used to have a fashion brand. I know how to sew. Oh, yeah. So, how how did so. how did that come about? Um. So, before, like me and my me and my friend, we actually used to sell. Uh, we had a market store. Mm-hmm. We used to sell like hats and stuff like that. Um. Then another one of my friends had a had a brand already set up, and he was like, "Yo, why don't we get together and do like create like a brand? Like you've already got this like experience already. I'd worked in for like a f- music and fashion magazine before, so had like a few links there." created it and yeah it like blew up it was like at the time anyway it was one of the biggest streetwear brands the moment we had a store in um shoreditch box park before the box park was the box park yeah what it was yeah what we know today like it was you know there was a lot of like cool like underground brands and stuff there so we were there and it was yeah it was a like crazy experience to have that early experience to create something have a business and everything um and then that like then led me into like working in fashion and then worked at Burberry uh, for like three years. But I was like in fashion, but on the tech side as well. Mm-hmm. So when you say fashion on the tech side, how how did the two marry together? Yeah, I worked on the app team. So okay. I worked with building the app and then some of the like, uh, some of the um, digital stra- strategies that they had in store as well. Um, but it was all using that experience that I had of, owning an e-commerce brand and a physical like we had a physical store but it was a digital um like e-commerce brand amazing amazing yeah. lots lots of things going on there yeah i think sometimes age. sometimes when i i think it's like the i'm sometimes i think there's too much and i don't know what to call myself like would you say it's like an artist mm. entrepreneur founder uh designer so that i just like created yeah, I'm creative. I think, yeah, you're creative, but you encapsulate all of them. You know, just yeah, reading yeah. through everything that you've done um, and, you know, everything that's probably still to come from you, I think you can definitely encapsulate all of the above. Tick all of the above. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you believe in um, Jack of all trades? Yeah. Like, but Jack of all trades, master of none. Do you believe in that? Or do you believe, like, you can be actually, you can be a Jack of all trades. Like, you can actually, if you want to be a musician and also a investment banker and a chef 
Mm. <laughs> Interesting. I think I think you need to find out what is your purpose and your passion. Um, and I think you lead with that. Everything else can be a hobby. It can be, you know, yeah, yeah. Some, I don't think you can be, it, all of those things can be your passions and your, your purpose. Mm. I think there's only one path for that. But you can certainly have hobbies and things that keeps your mind engaged. But yeah, I don't know. Other, it's because you see like people, um, it's like loads of like great examples of this, but I think some some of them, they're like similar. So for example, we have like a lot of the, people from like the grime scene now the mm. actors like you saw from um like kano what yeah. he's doing and he's like now well he's he's an actor now like really he's really like in the game um but it's like no, i haven't really seen many people that do something like maybe they're a musician and then they i don't know they're doing something mm, they diversify yeah, like, well, diversify yeah into some something else um but yeah, you can always like make those leaps when there's something similar. And I think that's what I've done is that like, everything that I I do is like there's similarities to it. It's all creative. Like, exactly. You're not just going out there saying, right, I'm creative, but actually I want to go and I don't know, do something. I want to be a surfer. I'm yeah, something. Champion com- surfer. Exactly. Something completely yeah. different. I think everything kind of links in and I've allowed it to like link in at the same time. I love that. Um, so I guess what were some of your influences and do you have a piece of art or uh, a creation that's kind of left a strong impression on you? Um, creation that's left a strong, I mean, there, there, there's one piece, uh, there's this one piece I have in my, in my place and, um, it's a map of Africa and, but the map is upside down. And it shows um, it shows Africa as if it was never colonized. So it actually, like, it's it's like uh, it's an art piece, but it's also like a very educational piece at the same time. So it's upside down, um, and then it's got all the countries, but their original name. It's even got Africa's original name, which was um, Alekobuland, I think. Alekobuland. That's the name of the. Um, of the piece as well and I, I, it's very poetic like it's upside down because they they the or the artist said that who's to say that africa is not the other way and the north is the south it says when you're the conqueror you get to tell the story you get to position your country above mm-hmm. so kind of signifying that you're above them and that these these guys are below you get to show like how the size of it which the the actual size of um on the maps Africa's the biggest landmass yeah but when you look on the map it's like they squashed it small it's a small lot so th- there's a lot of things that go into go into it into this piece and it's very like more than just looking at and seeing like oh this was originally like the this is actually originally the Ashanti kingdom and Ghana's not actually really Ghana and you see all those things. Because before so. that, there was no, um, there was no borders. It was all kingdoms. It, it wasn't yeah. as it existed. It's like the the notion of like nation, like nation that we have now was very much different right. to you know what existed. So yeah, there wasn't there there were borders, but not really the same as what we have today. You know, it wasn't it wasn't um, like borders in terms of you need a visa to like pass here and those. Exactly, exactly. It's annoying. And is there any contemporary artists um, that you would say, okay, yeah, I really like their work or any whether that stood out for you or 
even in kind of the space that exists now any kind of black artists that are you would want people to say right yeah go and check this person out um i mean in terms of like actual artists is prince right. yes he's an amazing photographer or like you wouldn't believe it but the majority of his best pieces were shot on the iphone and that was the whole that was in the beginning anyway for him it was all around being able to use any equipment that you can but it's more about your, your vision that you have and if you see like his vision and what he's been able to do is just like amazing so definitely like prince um and in terms of like a person or I wouldn't really say he's an artist, but like an inspiration to me is Virgil. Yeah. Because I find that whole thing of somebody, someone being able to, um, someone being able to like, he's an architect, he's a DJ, he's a designer, he's designed for Mercedes Benz, he's designed for Ikea, he's designed, obviously came creative director of um, Louis Vuitton. Like, You've got your finger in so many pies. I think we were talking about having been able to, you know, jump into different things. And for him is all that he had like a manifesto and an ethos that he ran through everything. So no matter what he was doing, he kept that same like ethos throughout everything. And I think for me, he's been like a big inspiration because he's kind of allowed me to see that, yeah, you don't necessarily have to stay in one lane. You can do everything in different lanes. And that's basically what I'm, what it's I've what you're doing. doing yeah exactly <laughs> that um yeah diversifying like yeah. i said and i know that um back in 2022 you did some traveling and you did a challenge yeah. of uh a different country each month so 12 yeah. countries um so how would that have played into inspiring you your creative side what were some of the takeaways um so doing that was I was just after COVID, so I was just like in that mode of definitely like working remote and um, like traveling as much as I can. I, I would never do it again, by the way. Oh, no, no I'll never do it again. <laughs> traveling is stressful. Right. Traveling is stressful. And when you're by yourself as well, it's, um, it's good because mm-hmm. you get to know yourself and everything, but it can be lonely. And people would think that like, oh, yeah, because holiday, holiday every day, but it's not really like a holiday. Um, Because I was was still working anyway. I was just working remote. Um, But the one takeaway that I had from from that was, like, it actually made me appreciate, like, home. Actually made me appreciate, like, having a home, having a community you can go back to. Because imagine every place I'm going to, I'm like the new guy. Mm. I was like, oh, who's this? Oh, this is, oh, this guy, Chidida. He's, um, you know, he's traveling. He's just here for one month, you know, and then then he's going to be going away. Where's your trying to insert yourself into people with already established relationships right people the people that i met in um in nairobi they had lived there their whole lives they had their you know their family everything they already have their connections there and i'm kind of the new guy when i was in lagos when i was in when i was in Joburg, you're never really like part of the society there because Essentially, you're not from there. You're just a visitor. Right. You're an unknown, aren't you? Yeah. So it just made me appreciate having a home base, somewhere to come back to, somewhere to be like, you know, this is where I call home. That's interesting. I've never considered having to um, build up connection each time that you go to a different place. You're building up from scratch. You don't know these people. And it's quite hard to to build up bonds in in such a short space of time. Um, I never considered that kind of side of it. 
because it's always glamorous oh you're going away you're meeting new people but yeah. when they don't know you it can feel very um alienating i guess yeah definitely I, I think when people do this like you know their travel blog yeah. i don't tell you that they don't <laughs> they don't tell you about like what is really like having to even just simple things like finding wi-fi it's like mm. it's you go somewhere it's just like you go to the hotel the, the wi-fi is not working or you have to find and you have to go and find you and your news so you have to find out these all these places it's very stressful it does it again very, starting from the ground up it's, yeah, yeah. yeah it sounds very taxing um but uh so all the places that you've been was there one standout country you was like oh this is breathtaking for whatever reason whether it's a creative reason or just a personal reason yeah the, uh, i mean the standout place and i always say this is japan like yeah they're going there just like culturally everything is just like amazing you know it was it was like crazy but also just because of how it kind of spurred like a few ideas in my head and i remember one time when i was there i was in kyoto and i went to uh i went to a shrine when I was there, there was people like queuing up to get in. We were all going, walking slowly to go and see the shrine, everything. Like finally get there, it was beautiful, like everything. But then when I left, I was just like, okay, I've I've gone to kind of like involve myself in um, like the culture of like the Japanese people. The history is beautiful. But I was like, wait, hold on. Mm. Like how come we're not doing this like back home? Like we have so much culture. If you, if to talk about like shrines and stuff like that, we have shrines. Yes. If you want to talk about different gods, we have different gods. Maybe we could e even say even a deeper history, right? Even more to show, but we're not showing it. In fact, we're like, you know, either we're running away from it or we don't even have the access to it, mm, you know, to be able to um, capitalize on it, mm. right? Like how how have we been able to capitalize on like that side of our culture we haven't yet other people are capitalizing from it and um that really just like sparked off like my mind into finding like ideas and things of how to challenge them mm. and that's a beautiful segue so we can get right into Lucy Art yeah, yeah, and yeah. <laughs> like I said when I was doing my research um it very much comes off as an, a movement something that we we desperately need at the moment um when you're saying you know we don't have any kind of hype we're not highlighting or we don't have any education around things that are belongs to our culture mm. and i feel like luti art really is addressing that and so do you want to give an intro into luti art what you guys are all about luti yeah uh well i would want to ask you like what when you first saw luti like what did you think like what were your first like i honestly was very like, impressions like, yeah. i was sorry it was on tiktok and yeah. i was like this is so cool just the whole way that you got about it. And because I think it came out around the same time, the TikTok, um, that they were giving the artifacts, loaning the artifacts yeah, back to Ghana. Yeah. <laughs> so that whole story, um, I think the algorithm brought it up and I was just like, this is so needed. I actually yeah. thought, I felt like goosebumps. I was like, I want to be involved with this. This is just so good. Um, it felt like you was the, the power balance, you know, you was rebalancing it in your own way. So yes explain yeah. explain so, to the people <laughs> so luti like luti was basically a project that i created and the initial like genesis of it came from um a unesco report uh in 2017 i believe where they they said that 90 to 95 percent of all african cultural heritage 
this isn't just like actual physical art. This is cultural heritage lives outside of Africa. Like 90 to 95 percent. It's insane. It's mad. Mm. 90 to 95 percent. So when you think about like the damage that's been done and, you know, just not being able to, firstly, just not having access to your cultural heritage is, is one thing. But then in this day and age that we live in, a, like whether we like it or not, we live in a society that people, it's a capitalist society. People capitalize off of their history. When you go to a country, you're in terms of like travel and stuff, they're capitalizing on their 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 arts, their culture, things like that. Um, so when you look at a lot of countries who are not able to do that, but they have the richest arts, culture and heritage, right. it's like it swings up all kinds of questions. And um, I was just like, okay, how do we tackle that? How do we balance out that 90 to 95%? So the, the first thing that comes into my head is just like, we just take it. Right, <laughs> it's like these the artifacts are inside the British Museum. Why don't we just roll up there and just take it? And just take... I just have to caveat that with legally. <laughs> then legally, yeah. But then, then once that was like, okay, we're gonna actually go take it. I was like, how? What is the how? What is the how? And like initially, I was just gonna recreate the um, like make replicas of them. Which, I've, which I think anyone can do. Like you can actually, and even online, there's like the the 3D versions that have been published. Anyone can do this. But I think what was what was very important was the whole physicality of it, and actually going there, going into the museum, being there, and using this as like uh, it was kind of like a performance, but also a, a, a actual heist. Yeah. So for anyone that's watching, like we actually <laughs> went, went to the British <laughs> Museum. Yeah. Dressed in all black with masks on and robbed the British Museum. And so just to kind of simplify that, so what you do is you um, you go into museums, buy mm -hmm. British Museum, yeah. um, you take a 3D scan, yeah. you then yeah. upload that as an NFT. Exactly. And then I know that you donate um, some of the money to young African artists on the yeah. continent. So that's kind of like the process of it all. Yeah. Doing. yeah. So that was for the, for the first project which was on the Benin bronzes yeah. which was all around the so originally the Benin bronzes were um taken in what they call a military expedition yeah <laughs> basically they went they went there and they stole everything burned down the kingdom you know and then the, all there's all kinds of like this like again with the destruction becomes you can just use your imagination of the kind of things that went on during that time after that um and now the the spoils of that expedition and or what's in the British Museum, but also there's over, you know, 5,000 different pieces that were taken. So these are scattered around the globe in private collections, in, um, in museums, you know, in different institutions. Um, but the majority is in the British Museum. So that's why it was like important for us to go there, you know, and actually like physically be there and take these back. Um, so, and then the reason why it was very important for now for this to be firstly an NFT is because is I see the, the technology is almost like a medium, like a camera, you know, some people would use like, yo, my canvas is, um, you know, um, I'm going to do this, like a, a water painting on, uh, you know, on a, a certain thickness of paper, or I'm going to do this on chalk or going to use 
different media. I see the NFT and the tokenization of it as a medium. Right. Then that, that medium or using that technology says something completely different than it would be if I was just doing this as a painting or something different. So the reason why the, it was very important for this to be that an NFT is because that the token uh, is something that is irrefutable for you to say like where it comes from. It's used as a like a, a process of um, provenance, like being able to say this was made on this day by this person and, you know, it's irrefutable. And we've never been able to have that before. And I just like that juxtaposition between you have the physical where we don't know well, we, we know, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they say it's owned by the British Museum, but we all know it's not. And they've got the papers to say that it's owned by them. You have this digital one where we where it's like thousand percent we do know the owner. We do know, you know, where it's going to be. We've got that everything. lead, that foot yeah. footprint, so to speak. So I wanted to use that as like a, <clears throat> a kind of like juxtaposition between the two. Um, but then also the fact that you can add different utilities into NFT as well. And one of those utilities was that 20% of the funds goes into a separate wallet, which is then given to distribute as grants to artists based in Nigeria. And that was important because not only is there like uh, the damage that happens um, having like the artifacts in the British Museum just to um, culturally there's a damage, but there's economic economics. There's an economical damage. Like there's an economical damage of you not being able to have you be in control of your and be, being able to capitalize on your um, arts, culture and history right. in that way. There's an economical damage. So we needed to counter that at the same time. So that's why it was like all those different layers were that like, important for the um, for the binning bronzes. Mm. Um, I think there is a deeper conversation here, and it's definitely what you're touching on about um, digital colonization. Mm. So we've seen the physical side of it happening. And, and I think we're experiencing this digital version of it happening. And I know that Luti kind of readdresses that. Um, but for people who maybe don't know, could you explain a little bit what, about what digital colonization is? Yeah, I, like there's, I mean, there's a lot of things that I I see seep into the, that come from like the physical realm and can seep into the digital realm. Like, mm. you, like you must've seen these things online about how, um, like AI now can be racist and how, because it's something that's already exists like institutionally um, in the world that we live in. And then when we're building these like programs, some of these things seep in. We use so our own bias. Exactly. Yeah. That can go into there. Now there's already, there's already a um, issue that we have within like the physical, in the arts world as well. well. And then when we're trying to translate that to the digital, we don't want to move some of those same biases across, right? So when we're looking at the the physical artifacts, the way they're represented, who's representing them, you know, how the story's being told, are we gonna just gonna replicate that into the digital form? It's just like, well, in my stance was just like, no, we need to create something new, something that actually references, like it basically is, is coming from like an Africa first, mentality like a pan-african mentality that we're looking at the references of where the, where these artifacts originally come from and then using that to kind of inspire and move forward um so that's basically the whole like process of what like luti does so the the uh installation that we created was actually inspired by 
the Benin bronzes, the ceremony, it's um, they use for commemoration. Okay. You- yeah, so it's used as a commemoration. So um, we actually named the installation after that. And there's a there's like a music that we have. So um, if you were at the Venice Biennale last year, and if you were there, you would have heard like this music that we had uh, created uh, by a sound, uh, sound uh, designer called Aisha. Amazing, amazing like musician as well. Brilliant. Um, so I was going to say as well, um, the planning of this, it's it's got to take a lot of, of kind of insight into what you're going to do. I know you can't just kind of rock up to, or can you just rock up to the British Museum and be like, this is what we're doing. What what goes through your mind on the day? Um, what are some of the challenges that you come across? So actually before the day, I actually work with a lawyer, a specific NFT lawyer, because I didn't want to get sued. Right. right? Like part of me did want to get sued because it's just like, if you get, you know what I mean? Like if, if you get sued, it's cool because it's, it's now like, there's no such, thing as bad publicity oh yeah very now imagine the british museum (laughs) sues me everyone's going to be talking about me so i was just like okay fine (laughs) i was like i was yeah yeah (laughs) i was i was already prepared of getting sued but i didn't want them to give them that opportunity so i just wanted to make sure that everything that we were doing was like legitimate and i think it's quite like poetic because when people ask people ask that how did you do it without getting sued like i was like well if you look at everything we did, what's illegal? Firstly, within the British Museum's terms and conditions, they say that you're allowed to do 3D scanning. It says it plain, plain and clear in there. Some nice loophole. Yeah, right yeah, yeah. That was that was the big like loophole. When I saw that, I was just like, wow, these people are so dumb. <laughs> but obviously, they they did it because there's a lot of people who do like photogrammetry as a hobby. Mm-hmm. But they didn't think that there's going to be a guy like me that would just come in and... <laughs> so then when you think about, okay, we were dressed in all black. And nothing, there's nothing illegal about that. We wore masks. Even though the masks that we wore were quite intimidating, still there's nothing illegal about it. We were wearing masks for like how many years for because of COVID. And Very true, yeah. They, there's actually nothing illegal about the masks we were wearing. So... But there's a nice story about the mask because it's the material that it's made yeah. out of. The material is um, made from the Ghana mask goat. We call it Ghana mask goat. I don't know if what people from Ghana call it. Maybe people from sure. Ghana. Because I, I, I heard someone say that it's called Ghana must and That sounds better. And it's there, because, but we, we call them Ghana mask goat. I'm Nigerian, so that's what we say. Yeah, and the other one <laughs> But other like um they they also call it the Chinatown tote. Mm-hmm. Um in in Poland they call that the Russian bag because a lot of um you know, back in the day a lot of Russian refugees used to use that bag in Poland. So they call that the Russia bag. Um and then I know in like North Africa they have another name for it. So but everywhere you go, this bag is kinda of like it connotes travel. It's like the laundry bag. Yeah, yeah every people would know when you see <laughs> yeah. it's like that, it's that that when you know and then I use fiberglass and that bag to make the mask and then we were holding the bag. Yeah. So it was basically signifying like taking something back home. You know, we're going on a travel, like we're going there physically and we're taking it back home. Do you know, it conjures like that scene from Black Panther when Kinemon goes into the museum. If that (laughs) picture of you is like, yeah, we're going to blow this joint down. Um, So, okay, so I know that you did the Benin Bronzes. Um, 
but you also did the Rosetta Stone. Yeah, the Rosetta Stone. The that's the that's the darling of the British Museum. Very much the, so. The centerpiece of all their stolen antiquities, and that one was really important as well because I was working with a, prof- a professor from Egypt. Um, her name's Professor Monica Hanna, and she's uh, the dean at one of the universities in, in Cairo. Uh, she's an archaeologist, and she's like, she's a hero. She's like what Indiana Jones, really. She's like the real Indiana She's the authentic. Yeah, version, not, not, not like Indiana. Yeah, Indiana Jones is just like, yeah. Some uh, just white white savior. Like, yeah, it's like, <laughs> like how how kind of cheeky is it to be like this is the story, this is the protagonist, and he's going to go in there and and it's a white man taking all of our stuff. Exactly. And we were really cheering on as a child, like yes, Indiana Jones. No, Indiana Jones. The mental brainwashing is the mental is it, and brainwashing. Even if you look in, if you go back now and watch that film, you'd see the way that they um, portray like the North Africans in the film and then the way that they portray like him as like the the white savior and go back and you'll see you'll see that this um that same notion of you know what we are the ones who respect these artifacts and you even though it's from you're from the place where these are from you really don't deserve yes almost like you don't have the knowledge of how yeah you don't understand it and that notion is very prevalent in the film this is why i say a lot of these things are like they're 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 engraved within society and it's kind of if you don't second guess them you just it just becomes normalized and you're just like oh yeah indiana jones yeah fine but yeah we're it's like she's the real indiana jones for real um so it's a real archaeologist and um, Egyptologist um, and we went to the British Museum, did a heist, did it again, dressed in masks, everything. And then I flew back to Egypt, um, met Monica, Professor Monica Hanna in in Egypt. Then we drove about five hours to a town called Rashid. And there's a citadel in Rashid and that's where they originally took the Rosetta Stone from. and then using a geolocated technology, I took the scan that we had and placed it right in the position where they stole it. So the geolocated uh, technology is almost like Pokemon Go, where you can put something in a position and it will stay there digitally. So right now, that kind of marked history as the first ever digital repatriation. Like it's actually there now, you know? Yeah. For the people who are from there can actually go and see their history as it should have been. You should feel very proud yeah, of that. Yeah. That that was that that brought me a lot of peace. That mm-hmm. that that moment because it was uh, it took such like to do the whole like planning everything took such a long time. But when I was there, you could see even just to see the difference of the area. It's very it's like you're very everyday kind of like e- Egyptian town, um, but you could see the difference it could make if the real Rosetta Stone was there and having like. Those flocks of people come and tourism, yeah, the tourism, yeah, yeah, you definitely like saw that there, um, but yeah, definitely, definitely one of the like proudest moments for Luti was like actually doing that, and then the second part of it was to rebuild the stone. So what a lot of people don't know is that the Rosetta Stone shape that we know is actually um, a broken part of the stone. So there's a ri- there's like an original stella. Um, so at so. Within the um, within the like AR version or the digital version, you can actually 
totally takes you through that story and then you can actually rebuild it. So we re we returned it and then we re rebuilt it at the same time. So it's just like that whole that whole process, man. It was um and and then we now we now have like a like a installation to represent that whole feel like you made some ancestors very happy yeah. and i know that we've had um a talk off camera about um the the generational trauma and the violence in which some of these things have been taken mm -hmm. yeah, yeah and the yeah. impact of that well, I, and i guess we don't really think about that um but it certainly has an effect for real for real it's like they it, i think what i was say, what i mentioned was that it's it's just funny how um the most the artifacts that have the most trauma attached to them are the ones that are most sought after or the yeah. most the most expensive. The ones that you'll see have gone into auction and they get sold for like $1.3 million. When you then look into the history of it, there's always some kind of, you know, war or, violence, you know, just, violence yeah. or something. It's never the ones that were just kindly donated or, or given or that have just been, that have just passed through, um, generations of family and thing it's always the ones that have like the violence attached to them and that's why if, when i created Luti, it was very important that we switched that violent act and we did something that when you think about the digital it's you're not thinking about the, the same trauma and violence as the physical when the when the digital story starts it starts with two masked men go in and retrieve this it's like the story of robin hood it's the it's the yeah. hero story whereas sometimes with the physical now it's almost been like tainted like imagine a child that was stolen from its family and then returned at 85 years old it's so, okay it's great that you did the right thing and returned something that you stole but that child has gone its whole life living or the the person now has gone their whole life living outside of their culture outside of their home they then return as something different their 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 parents may be gone by then people no one really to remember them the place that they go back to is very much different and when you think about that same story and now you think about the artifacts that we have some of them have lived outside of their their home for hundreds of years so what happens when they go back they go back to a place very different they go back sometimes as memories of war memories of colonialism rather than when they left they were you know they were, they, yeah, they they were, they 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 were they were artifacts that were celebrated, you know. And that's not to say they can't be celebrated anymore, but there's still a, there's a change mm. that's happened. There's a change in in like the society of today than it was like a few hundred years ago. And um, what I wanted to do was just to leapfrog over that whole this whole colonial era and everything, and just go back to the like the essence and the source and leapfrog over that into the digital, you know? So we start now with a completely new story, right? The correct story. Yeah, the correct story. <laughs> Our story. Uh, exactly, exactly. And it just, I think it opens up more um, more options for us when it comes to, all right, this is, it's it's just a new way of, of, of looking at a different angle to look at th this problem and this situation. Absolutely. Um, so out of the Benin bronzes and the Rosetta Stones, is there anything that you have your eye on that you can share with us or would that be giving the game away? Uh, like now that we've got an eye on, but um, this year we're actually going to open up this process to the world and I want to 
democratize the process of looting. So we're going to teach people how to loot. Yeah. So that Find whole process, yeah, <laughs> that whole process of like um, going into the museum, taking the scans, everything. We're going to open that up to to everybody and teach you how to loot. We want to create a repository of like all the stolen art and then use that to create the installations that we've done. So imagine a a counter reimagination of what a museum is supposed to be right with the digital artifacts telling their true story and we're gonna like have that as you know something that can be anywhere in the world so it's accessible to anybody it doesn't necessarily have to be inside a, a museum or in an institution i was gonna say i guess you are creating these online museums mm-hmm. and it's um you're redefining how we look at museums for a whole new generation. Yeah, definitely. Because I find like these days now, like really, it's, it's even though they're 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 there, they're like ten years behind mm-hmm. when it comes to what's really going on now. And I feel that the kids of today, they're not really that interested in that that way of accessing history, that way of you know learning about their culture and history. And uh, we've just got like a. Firstly, a way that we we think is going to be more interactive, but also like can tell the story better. And I think children or the younger generation they can connect more if it's kind of it's a digital thing. I'm not saying that physical art or physical um, creation is isn't a thing anymore, but I think their language is more dulled in if it's, it exists in a yeah. digital space. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you can just see even when you just see like the reaction of people. When they when they use like the AR versions, of what we're doing, where they see like the holograms and stuff, it's just it's cool. Like they you know there's like a there's a real um, like different reaction that it gets than looking at the the physical. And it's, and then and I'm not saying this is something that will replace the physical physical, no. but it could act as even as like a digital twin to it that it has completely different pro- properties, even though it's still connected. Digital twin. That's yeah, that's yeah. a really great way of putting it. Yeah. Um, and outside of the heist, is there any um, projects that you're that's coming up for you guys? Okay. Yeah, we're doing NFT Paris in like two weeks mm-hmm. and Art Dubai. Um, later this year, fingers crossed, we'll be doing the um, the Dakar Biennale in um, Senegal and Art Basel, Miami. This is still very nice, yeah. As well, and Art X Lagos. Um, those are what we've got coming next. Sounds like you're going to yeah. be a very busy man this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's going to be a lot of fun things. <laughs> Incredible. Things. And so I think I'd like to close with values. Um, I always like to ask our guests what's the value that they hold for their personal life and a value that they hold for their professional life. You want to start with your personal life? Personal life. Actually, so what was my value? Um, my personal life value. I think off camera you mentioned um, outside the box. Okay. The box. Yeah. For, yeah. <laughs> p- personal life value is, yeah, thinking outside the box. Yeah. In terms of, I guess that's more in terms of um, like creativity. Mm-hmm. It's just like, I, I try not to let like an idea die. You know, I would, Take it, keep asking like why, why, why until even even if it seems like a bit crazy, keep asking that question of why till you get down to the very core of it and then and then um like move forward with that. 
Um, yeah. And for your professional life? And professional life is definitely never give up. Mm. Like never, never stop going and having that. I think you need to trust yourself a lot, you know, have a lot of trust in, trust in yourself and your ability because the second that you lose like your passion and stuff, that's like the fuel almost to keep going is having that. So just always have that trust in your ability and keep going. Absolutely. I, I agree with that. Um, and if people want to follow your journey, where can they find you? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram is chidi.co. My website is chidi.co. Uh, everything's chidi.com. <laughs> yeah. And Luti, can they find you? And for Luti, yep. it's at, in in uh, Instagram, it's at Luti NFT. And then the website is www.luti.art. Amazing. Chidi, yeah. thank you. I was really looking forward to this conversation. You did not disappoint. And um, I would love to revisit when you've got some of the other projects going off this year. Um, but yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, definitely. We see you looting like later this year. Yes, I, we need to talk about that because I'm definitely in, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> thank you so much, guys, for joining us. And also, if you want to follow The Black Circle, you can find us on Instagram at theblackcircle.podcast. And you can find us on YouTube, The Black Circle Podcast. Until next time. Yeah.